Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 278. And this episode was recorded in the capital of Croatia, Zagreb. There's a museum in Zagreb, and it is called the Museum of Broken Relationships. And it was started by Olinka Vistika and Drashen Grubisic. And I was fortunate enough to not only be able to view the museum, but to have Drashen come on the podcast and to talk about the museum. It's really, I think, in his mind, like an art exhibit. And what's featured throughout the museum are artifacts and tokens of broken relationships. Now, this could be a romantic relationship where people broke up or divorced, or it could be the loss of a parent or an estranged parent or child. And then there are some really creative ones. Uh, a woman submitted a bra because she had a mastectomy and it was she wrote a goodbye to her breasts. There was somebody who discovered that they had a gluten intolerance later in life and they submitted uh, like a make your own pizza at home type of a thing. And then they wrote an ode to all the delicious things that they can't eat anymore. More so than the objects themselves, I was really moved by the, the paragraphs and the stories that people wrote about the thing that they are now missing. Some were really poetic, some were funny, some were really heartbreaking. And the museum is arranged in such a way that when you start, it's a little more lighthearted. And when you make your way towards the end, it gets a bit, a bit more heavy and a bit darker. It's a really fascinating place. And when you search for like things to do in Zagreb, it's always in the top five of things to do. It always comes up. So I was really excited to get to go and to record this episode. And I think we put together a really great one for you. So if you go to the notes for this, uh, for this episode, you will find a link to the website for the Museum of Broken Relationships. Definitely recommend that you visit it if you are in Croatia. And I'll also have a link to their social media accounts. They've got a Facebook and they've got an Instagram. Also in the notes, you will find a link to my Instagram and to my Patreon. Patreon is a way to support independent artists and creators. And you get some cool kickbacks for TV, TV, uh, like stickers and shirts and things from around the world and postcards and stuff like that. So please check that out if you're able to. If not, just tell a friend. That would be awesome. Before I get to the episode and conversation, I want to tell you a little bit about where we are now and what's been going on. So we recorded this episode, hmm, where were we? About five-ish days ago when we were in Croatia. We took a bus into Slovenia to the capital, Ljubljana, which is really beautiful, such a cool place. And one of the things that I wanted to do while I was there was eat at a place called Gastolina Skarucna. Gastolina is, it's a restaurant, but really I think it translates word for word to guest house. I really wanted to try to interview the proprietor there, sent an email, it didn't work out, didn't get a response. The restaurant is like hmm, 25 minutes north of the city. So you take a cab. There is a bus that runs, I think, kind of infrequently. But we also read online, you might need a reservation. So I sent an email for that, didn't get a response. 
a lot of what's written about the museum, uh, about the restaurant online, it, it's mixed. And a lot of it's wild. I read things from people going for a one o'clock lunch and staying for six hours and having the best meal of their life. I read multiple accounts of people saying, we got nothing because the cooks were too drunk to cook and they sent us home. It's a restaurant that was started by Slavko Sagar. He was a boxer. Um, from, from what I'm told, he was a, a tenor opera singer, at least uh, amateur, and a bit of a showman. And from all accounts, a fascinating guy. He started the restaurant, and eventually him and his son, Slavko Jr., were running it together. With, I think, Dad running the music. They've got hundreds of records. It's cool. It's, it's got a rustic sort of outdoor area. There's a bit of an indoor area with a bar. It's in Skorichina, which is, while it's only 20, 25 minutes north of the city, it is really rural. There's a bunch of farms there, and there's not much else there besides the restaurant. So we took the taxi, got there a little after one o'clock, had the taxi drop us off. He left and it was dark. Boarded up, nothing happening. We thought it opened at one on a Saturday. We then saw the sign. It said they opened at one, nothing. So I go around back. There's a house behind the restaurant and there was a door open. So I peeked my head inside. I said, hello, no one there. So we're like, okay, Let's walk around a little bit, maybe try to find a bus, try to find a way back, maybe try to find somewhere to, to waste some time or find some Wi-Fi. So we walked through a field, really through a farm, to the next village. And there was a cafe there. There wasn't Wi-Fi. But we watched a little soccer on TV, a little football, and they had the cliff diving world championships, which I've never even heard of. That was pretty wild. But we had a coffee and killed about, I don't know, an hour and a half. Didn't get Wi-Fi. We saw that there was a bus stop and we said, okay, we'll just, we'll try the restaurant one more time and then we'll go to the bus. So we walk back through the field, get to the restaurant and someone's pulling into the, the small parking lot at Gostolina Skarichna. And so we wait for the gentleman to get out and we say, hey, what's going on here? And he explains that he's a cook there, but that they're closed. Something was lost in translation. He said someone very important, maybe like the manager or something like that, got sick and they had to close. So we were like, oh man, okay, like, do you know when the bus runs? So we pulled up the schedule and it doesn't run anymore after 1230 on a Saturday. But he says he can call us a taxi. Okay, great. That's awesome. We'll get back into the city. We'll get... Late lunch, early dinner. A moment later, from that house, a door opens and Slavko Jr. comes out. He's looking a bit disheveled, maybe a bit hungover, like he just woke up. And he's got this gravelly voice, like, <laughs> it's such an interesting sounding voice. He later explained that he had had a surgery and they nicked his vocal cord and it gave him this like really... Uh, it's like, a, it's like a tire on gravel. He looks at us and he says, you must be hungry, you must be thirsty. Yeah, come in, come in, come in. I'll, I'll have some food for you, I'll have some food. So we thought, okay, just us? 
and Salavko and, and a cook, like, that's awesome. This is going to be amazing. And it turned into a nine-hour affair of eating and drinking and music and laughter and, and chaos at times. He goes into the kitchen and immediately we hear things just banging around and falling on the ground. And we're sitting there and he brings out apple mint schnapps, homemade. Followed by raspberry schnapps, homemade. Followed by raspberry juice, homemade. I'm going to try to take you through everything here. Natural white wine. And you can repeat that over and over and over and over again. Natural red wine. Over and over and over again. First course, beef tongue with goat's cheese, olive oil, salt, pepper. Corona, beer, red wine. Goat's cheese with mustard seed and herbs. Goat's cheese with paprika and chili. After that, a cup of like a palate cleansing, what he said, some kind of tzatziki. Kind of. And it was. It was herbs and pickles and some type of dairy, sour cream, yogurty type of thing. Delicious, refreshing. After that, beef salad, pickles, onions, celery, salt. After that, a giant slab of cheese, which she says is from a shepherd down a small little road, hard to get to. After that, salad. After the salad, we took a break and we went to meet Slavko's ducks. And he fed the duck salad and he showed us his garden and he showed us where he keeps all the schnapps. After that, a classic Slovenian soup of beef, onion, potato with the skin, carrots. It's all cooked in what he calls cracklings, I'm assuming pork fat. Now, this is like hour 4.5, four and a half. After that, we transition into the kitchen where water is boiled with tons of sugar and then all this fresh basil is put in to make this basil liqueur for later in the week. And we must have bottled 100 bottles over the course of three, four hours. While we're working and sweating and listening to music and drinking, we start eating these boiled potatoes with salt and pepper and butter. That is followed by a seven-herb liqueur. And then a taste or multiple tastes of that basil liqueur water. We hung out until just about midnight, telling stories, learning about each other's lives, listening to all sorts of wild music, Balkan rock music, Iggy Pop, Croatian and Slovenian techno. And then he called us a cab and we went home. It felt serendipitous that we met that cook because if we hadn't seen him, I don't know, we would have hitched our way back into the city. We would have just kept walking until someone picked us up or eventually somewhere along the line, a taxi would have caught us. But we ended up having this amazing experience that I, I couldn't, couldn't have even dreamt up. This place completely fills up. Tourists to go there. We, I don't know, we got to have an incredible experience and it, it's just another one of those things that happens on the road. And now it's in, you know, my bank of stories. So happy to share that one with you. If you're ever in Ljubljana, the capital of Slovenia, 
you need to go to Gostolina Skorucina because it is a wild, wild place. All right. I'm going to stop blabbing. Enjoy this conversation about the Museum of Broken Relationships. All right. Well, first of all, thank you for having us here. Uh, every like blog and guidebook and website about Zagreb, when you look up things to do, your museum is in like the top three. Uh, so I know you're probably quite busy, uh, and I appreciate the time. So thanks. Well, actually, since it's it's so on on top of every page and everything, it's not that actually we have to do a lot. It, it's just functioning by itself, so to say. I'm joking. Yeah, um, yeah that was... Uh, we started the museum, Olinka and myself, Olinka Vistica and, and me. We, we started the museum in 2006 as, a, as an art project. And uh, it, it started from our personal experience of our own breakup. Mm. And while discussing, you know, what to do with things that are left behind, especially that one little toy that we had that was kind of a, our joke and like, who's going to take the bunny? And that was the start of the... the I, and, and the idea was... Uh, we, th we actually thought that there must be a place for these objects. So we started Googling it. And all we could find was different types of advice of how to burn everything, how to, you know, invite your friends and ritually just get rid of everything and so on, which for us sounded quite barbaric. And uh, so now Olinka said, well, at least we changed the search, you know, yeah. <laughs> Google search. Now when you Google, like, uh, broken relationships, you get our museum as the first uh, hit, so... What were those initial items? Um, I, I think I heard you mention a bunny. Uh, what did you want to put on display from your relationship? Well, no, there was just this one. Okay. Um, because it kind of symbolized, uh, you know, a lot of stuff is practical. You have mm. a TV, you have a chair, you have, you know, it depends how long you spend together. Somebody has a house as well. But... The material things are things you use, and that's okay. But there are always those little things that kind of symbolize your relationship, uh, some moment of you know love or something that you you remember and cherish, and so on. And it's kind of engraved in this little. It can be really any kind of trinket. It can be you know what it can be whatever, as you have mm. seen in a museum. And so. Um, it was it was interesting for us as well that this one little object can hold so many emotions for two people. Mm. It means it presents nothing else to nothing. It represents absolutely nothing to anybody else. Mm. But for you, it can you know make you cry or make you laugh depends on the situation you're in. And so ours was this little bunny that we had. Mm. And it, that's how it started. And then um, 
It was kind of spontaneous because we had this idea and we put it aside and uh, some two years later I got a call to submit some work to Zagreb Biennale, it's a show. And the theme was synergy and I was like, hmm, what do I, oh, synergy, okay. And I called Dolan Cup and I was like, ah, you remember the thing we were talking about, the Museum of Broken Relationships? And we just wrote it down and submitted that and they accepted it mm -hmm. and we had just 14 days to make this happen. A full exhibit? Yeah. And so we just called all our friends and they <laughs> called their friends. And so that's how we started. That's how we got like the first 46 objects, I think, and mm. stories. And the idea is really simple. You just give this object and you write something, what it represents to you or, you know. Mm. And to make it museum-like, you also give the location, the duration, and so as you've seen the, the displays in the museum, how they're set. And, uh, and for, for me, I thought that was it, you know, that was the exhibition, but then it, it was, press took over and it was just like crazy. Uh, it was on CNN and BBC and everything. And coming from Croatia and not being a football player, anything yeah. else is really <laughs> hard to get out, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, natural beauty and football players. That's what we're famous for, not really arts and, and stuff like that. You were born and raised in Zagreb? Yeah, yeah. Uh, can you tell me about growing up here? Well, yeah, it, from, from this perspective, it's like a fairy tale, sort mm. of, really. Uh, it was, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a really nice-sized city. It's greatly located. It's close to the Alps if you go skiing, it's close to the sea if you like summer. Mm. <laughs> so, and uh, it's, uh, it's a nice little hub. It's the, it's the right size, you know, one million people, that's about, mm. you don't spend too much time traveling from one place to another. So I tried living in different places, but always come back, so. How heavily impacted was this part of Croatia by the wars for independence? Well, it was impacted. I mean, any, any, any war is like the worst thing that can happen. Mm. I just had, when Ukraine started, I just had flashback of disappointment, so to say, because it's... Uh, it's a tragedy, you know, the rich get richer, the poor lose their lives. That's the, the basic of the war. Mm. And nothing changes much, so. <laughs> yeah, well, I was wondering, like, through sort of like the concept of, of the museum, um, if collectively in Croatia, going through that time period, if that impacted how people, like, view and experience relationships now. It's, uh, it kind of shows you, uh, shows you people what, for what they really are, mm. the war. You see really the best and the worst in people. Mm. It's very, very uh, um, purifying experience, so to say. You know? mm. I did go, I, I went to the front line, I was in Bosnia as well. And, and really? So the things, yeah, and, and it's just... Uh, but at the end, it's just a big disappointment, so to say. 
Mm. There are no real heroes. There is nothing, you know, it's just... Uh, mm. It's... Uh, I, I, like, I can't watch war movies, especially American ones. It's like, seriously. Yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs> no, I mean, that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I'm not really part of this, just a thought I had. Um, I don't know if you meant to do this intentionally uh, through your exhibit, but I th actually thought it was quite interesting how your the artifacts that you pieced together that had to do with war, um, maybe the goal was almost to like humanize the people in the war because yeah. you're you know Absolutely. thinking about war in such a, <coughs> like a, I don't know, uh, Art of, like you kind of detach yourself a little bit from it, but then while this is going on, you also have the backdrop of human emotion and the, you know, there was the boy who was literally fleeing, I think Bosnia, and then he falls in love in the car or yeah. sitting next to someone in a car. Yeah. I mean, it's the old journalist trick where you, if you want to, you know, have a news that like thousand people drowned on the ship, it's okay. You just skip through it. But having somebody's experience while that was happening, okay, you can empathize em, empathize with this. So it, it's it's like that, uh, you know. Okay, now you read about the war, and oh yeah, okay, how many people? What city today? Okay, how many shells and blah blah. But it's just data. Mm. But you know, seeing some. Um, old uh, somebody like it could be your grandmother crying because you know they showed the house and everything that that impacts you so this is this is something that we can do here and we did it um, when there were special occasions when there was the refugee uh, um, the first refugee wave through Europe it was like five six years ago or something mm -hmm. then we did um, Little one room we did the exhibition with Red Cross, mm. where, where we collected the stories from refugees. Just you know, so you're not looking at news and looking at this stream of people that you have no relation to, so to say. But if you read the stories of these people and you see the photos and stuff, then maybe you know you will change your mind and become more humane in a way. So that's that's what we we try to do in a way. Mm. Yeah, it's not romantic love. It's mostly written. It's the the emotional relationships that we have, which can be very varied from family to politics to religion to. So there's a lot. Yeah, when you started the museum, was your lens romantic relationships? Because that's what I was thinking. No, we we here. left it open. Museum of broken relationships. We left it open on purpose. Okay. We didn't say a love, you know, heartbreak museum. We didn't. It's we left it open on purpose because people get emotionally involved in many. I mean, coming back to your question about war, mm. we have that experience in disappointment in in governments, in disappointment in heroes, in disappointment in you know. So it's you get emotionally attached to different things, not just people, and then you get disappointed. Yeah, one of my favorites. Well, I, I, I jotted down a few notes uh, downstairs. This scab I thought was just really interesting and obviously kind of weird. Um, 
but somebody had like a, a pizza maker box because they had been feeling like lethargic and low energy, I guess, their whole life, and then realized through testing that they had a gluten insensitivity. And that maybe sounds like really silly, um, but I'm sure that that was quite shocking for that person and something meaningful for them. So I thought that was really interesting. It's a, you know, it's a big part of your life. I mean, I, I found out like 10 years ago that I'm lactose intolerant. Mm. And I love cheese. Yeah. And it's, you know, every time there is a meal and cheese come out, you know, if somebody brings French cheese and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so it, it does, you know, it, it does affect you in a way. So I can, I have a friend who's uh, intolerant to wheat, uh, yeah. uh, gluten intolerant. And I know when I go, when we go somewhere and I order pizza and I just see it in his eyes, it's like, <laughs> you cannot do this to me. You know? I have a so. cheese problem too, but I just suffer through it. Like this morning we were at the market and there's like a row of women selling really fresh yeah. cheese. I'm like, all right, we have to get this because yeah. <laughs> I can't not get it. Um, when did you become interested in the arts and, and start painting? In arts? Yeah. Um, it was kind of, uh, you know, when you're a kid and everybody's like, oh, you're so talented, you're so talented. Mm. And, uh, like, my family goes back to, like, 16th century. They're from the one island in Croatia. They're very famous for stone uh, sculptures. So they were, like, doing this forever. Mm. My grandmother was, like, very talented. My father was very talented so it was like something that you know you have and then uh, actually i thought of studying design mm. but there was no design at the time in zagreb i could either go to belgrade or ljubljana it was in yugoslavia <clears throat> but my parents really couldn't afford for me to to live somewhere else so i was like okay well, i'll just study academy of fine arts then and that's okay. how i chose to be an artist. Does the city, uh, I guess now, does the city do a good job of supporting artists? Um, it's, uh, it's a complicated uh, situation because in socialism, uh, you had really excellent support for arts and for artists. Mm. So... Uh, there was this movement, Yugoslavia after Second World War was quite a backwards country. So there was, it was a serious movement to get literacy up, to get uh, arts, sports and all these things to people because they will prosper through this. Mm. So um, I was once in, in European Council, there was a like round table about the uh, situation of artists in the countries in the Europe. And I was like at the end of the line, so to say. And after listening to everybody, I was like, well, I, I'm kind of uh, uh, in a strange place now because in Croatia, it's all of these problems are solved and all of this, it's really great. Huh. But, on the other hand, there is no market mm. in a way there is in America. So you don't have a gallery that invests in young artists, promotes them. 
take big part, big chunk of, of their uh, um, of, of their fee, but still invests a lot. So you have this basic uh, coverage. You can get a studio. Uh, you get uh, your health care and social security, if you're an artist, paid by the government. But uh, this, this private part is, is missing. So it's not easy to be an artist. Mm. You can survive, but you cannot really, it's much harder to strive. That's currently too? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's it's the limbo of transferring from one system to another. So something from the old system has stayed, but you know there are no um, big uh, uh, state orders as there were mm. then. I don't know. Maybe you heard of uh, these big monuments spread around Yugoslavia. Huge concrete, brutalist. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Pretty incredible stuff, you know. That was you could you could make you know you could buy a house if you were uh, an artist and you got right. this this prize and you you did this. That was it. You're, you were settled, so to say. That's lacking. So you don't have that, and you don't have a serious market. Hmm. So it's not that easy. What is the idea with like those brutalist style buildings? It's sort of, I don't know, it, it sort of makes it look like, uh, well, they're massive and sort of like omnipotent, if that makes sense. It kind of makes you feel really small. Like, I guess, is that the purpose? Yeah, yeah. of course. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, uh, <coughs> some of them are really amazing. I really mm. like some of them. Some of them, I mean, as with every art, something is good, something is not that good, mm. but they were okay. And I mean, this was something that was quite new because uh, all of the Eastern Europe that was dominated by Russia had this terrible uh, realism, like heroic realism with these sculptures mm. that actually when you look at the uh, Nazi and and communist sculptures, they're quite the same. It's yeah. the same logic behind it. And uh, Yugoslavia broke up with that in 1950 mm. and started um, actually started producing really good abstract art, uh, abstract um, geometric art, and mm. like um, Vasarely did in France and stuff. So. Uh, some really great architect, <coughs> really great architects, in a way of what Corbusier did. So uh, it was quite a forward-thinking society hmm. then. Yeah, it's it's like you know we came to this region not having like a really strong grasp on the more modern history, I would say. Um, and, and it does seem like through talking to people through the podcast that there were a lot of good things for people during the era of socialism, like you mentioned, like support of the arts and things like that. Um, so I don't know. It was kind of like taking taking the good with the bad. Yeah, I mean, we make mistakes that we, we're not looking at... Uh, time frame perspective. So you have to put something in where, what, 
what happened at the time mm. then in history, and then it will, you know, it's not, it's easy now to say, oh, it was a dictatorship, la la la, yeah, but I mean, I had a really strange conversation in Shanghai uh, with our friend. She's Chinese. She lives there and all her life, and uh, she kind of likes the communist mm. party system in China, and she asked me about my sincere opinion about uh, should there be a democracy, like Western-style democracy in China. Mm. And from my experience with what happened to Yugoslavia, I can imagine like a 10 to 20 year civil war raging in China. The moment you let democracy in. Wow. It's... Uh, Democracy is not for everyone. You have to have a really educated society. Mm. If you don't, you can go back. I mean, what's happening to, in states is kind of, you know. Yeah, no, we don't know what's going to happen. You need to have people who vote because it's their right and it's also their duty. But voting means that you are familiar with, with what you're really voting mm. for. You're not voting against or voting for, you know, you, you just, you have your arguments and, you know, so I'm not sure how this, how it's <laughs> gonna go. And I mean, you see what happened with the democracy, trying to in, impose democracy in countries that were not ready for it, like uh, Middle East and, uh, mm. North Africa, it didn't turn out quite good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's quite... Okay, you, you, just because of the war that happened here, mm. you see how easy it is to manipulate people. Yeah, I want, sort of wonder if people are worried about that happening again, or like how easily that potentially could no, happen No, I'm again. sure we've done, we, we learned the lesson oh. for the next 40 years. Okay. Yeah. So maybe in 30, 40 years it might be happen again because mm. people will forget. But uh, <laughs> there's no no way anybody will go to war now. Okay. Here. After the success of the initial exhibit where you're you're calling your friends and you're piecing it together, um, how long after that did you decide to open this up to become a global project? Um, it became a global project right after this because we were invited to a festival in Ljubljana. Mm. Uh, we came there and then there were some other people who invited us to Singapore, to Berlin. So we started traveling right away mm. and we had this traveling exhibitions where we would go and we would also collect locally. And after three years, uh, we found ourselves, actually, I found myself uh, in my studio with boxes full of stuff. And we had to make a decision, like, what do we do now? I mean, either we close this and stop or we make a step forward and make it kind of formalize it in a way that we organize everything and have a, some permanent home for these objects. And uh, 
being given all these things, you know, from people all around the world with a lot of emotions. Yeah. You can't actually just say, okay, we had enough and just throw everything away. So we were kind of forced to, to do the next step. And that was, so it was four years later, we opened the permanent museum here. So do people just mail you things or do they yeah. apply? Wow. Yeah, yeah. You just met Charlotte. She's a collection manager. She was just, the, the thing that asked, like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. oh, that was it. She was, she's un unboxing objects that. Do you get things every day? Almost, yeah. Wow. How do you decide then, through all that stuff, what ends up in the gallery? Is there a certain criteria? <laughs> there is. Yeah. <laughs> it may seem like, you know, the museum is just, bunch of stuff laid around but actually it took us almost a year for this display really yeah because there is so first we choose different themes then you choose which are the best objects that represent these themes then you look at the stories then some of the stories are too long so you know you have to the, the way we we decide how many objects we have in a museum is by time, not by the number. So mm. when we have everything laid out, I go and I read it, and if it takes me 45 minutes, then it's okay. I'm, I'm a fast reader. Mm. If it takes me more, then you know something has to get out, something has, new has to go in, and, and so it's... Uh, because you're actually creating things sort of a roller coaster of emotions for a visitor. You know, the way you start, where, where it goes. I mean, I don't know if you were skipping or you were going through, but it, it has this uh, logic into it mm. that may not be in your face, but you may feel it. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of these. Uh, so where's the object from also? We want everything come back. We, you know, we, we like to display as, as, as wide as we can, because you've seen there are so many different stories. I mean, I was really afraid when we started with the project. You're doing a crowdsource project. You have no idea where it's going. You, you have no influence on what's coming to you. Mm. So I was really afraid it's going to be extremely boring. We'll get plushy toys and love letters and everything will sound the same. And then we got these first 46 objects, and it was like, wow, okay. So it's that varied, cool. And it keeps going. Every time we have exhibitions somewhere, I think like, hey, I've seen it all now. And no, there is something new, and it's just like, wow, so blown away. Do you like have everything that you're not using in storage somewhere? Yes, yes. All like yes, labeled? Yes. And no, but it's not that we're not using, because since we have, we've had, 59 traveling exhibitions. Mm. Oh, yeah. So, you know, 59 times 100, uh, and we don't use the same objects, so every time, it depends a lot on what we collect locally. That's the first process. We, the local partner collects locally, and then we see what they have, and then we combine from our archives. So sometimes you get, since everything is produced in China, sometimes you get mm. you know, these toys that are exactly the same, just in different language or something, 
and mm. from different places in the world with different stories, or sometimes there's similar stories. Or so you can play a lot with. Uh, so yeah, we choose we choose uh, from our collection every time something else. So you, most of the objects get to travel, actually. Do you ever get to to listen in or sort of like eavesdrop to see what people are saying and hear their reactions? Of course. <laughs> My favorite hobby. Uh, nobody knows me, so I can just sit in our cafe yeah. and, you know, I'm there doing my stuff and somebody comes out. Usually, usually the, the reason why we have cafe is not everybody has the same pace. So, mm. you know, if you get out earlier, you can sit down, get some coffee, wait for your friends to come out, and then they sit and then it starts. Mm. And it's always the same. It's always like, so which one, la, 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 and then it goes to... Uh, personal stuff mm -hmm. what would you display what would you what would you what would somebody you know from the family here they're talking about somebody from the family or somebody who had a similar story to something in the museum and so and it gets i i think that's the the highest you can get with art to to make people think i think it makes them think you know? it makes them think about their mistakes or mm. their choices or so yeah, I was wondering if you ever noticed while traveling if, if culturally um, people have different responses or react in different ways in the museum. No. So in a way, it's, it really shows that we're all the same because mm. it's quite, quite the basic emotion. So you get the same response wherever you go. We've been to all five continents, and, and really it's, uh, wow. it's like that. But on the other hand, you do have some situation. It, it has more to do with the stories we get locally. So, you know, the best example I have is Philippines. There are nine million Filipinos working abroad. So... Um, you can expect that in 40, 50 objects that we get in the stories, there will be at least three or four talking about the breakup because somebody left. Mm. So these things happen. Um, in the US, from the US, we got quite a few PTSD stories from somebody going to war and then, you know, everything just... Mm went berserk after he came back home and, and so so it's it's the situations countries find themselves in that of course influence us so if it's a big major crisis it happens we have now COVID breakup stories you know plenty so it will of course if it's something if it, there's a war if there's a big crisis if there's something it will influence people's lives and their relationships as well it was interesting how you can track war through the exhibit because I believe I saw World War One. There's World War Two. Yeah. There's like Leslie mentioned Bosnia, and then there's the Vietnam War. There's Afghanistan. Yeah, that's Afghanistan, Iraq. Yeah, kind of crazy how that's a constant. And, and Istanbul with a ter with a terrorist attack. The yeah, was, yeah, that was heavy. Yeah. yeah. We 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 cherry picked these so we have everything so yeah. to say and of course second world war yeah we got most stories from germany it makes sense yeah yeah the, and it a thought i was having was like how insignificant any 
some of the particular items would be if you saw it, even if you saw it on the ground outside, like there is like a little, um, like someone had a charm of like a boxing glove or even there's like a, like a brassiere, right? And you'd be like, okay, that's trash. But I don't know, the, it does make you reconsider not just people, but objects too. Like what is the, the history of this particular thing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's interesting. Have, have, you, have you felt particularly connected to anything that someone else has submitted? It can get quite emotional, I mm. must. Uh, because a lot of times we also meet people uh, mm. donated stuff. So I have faces behind these objects and stories as well. Mm. Um, like maybe the video that you have seen, the old lady talking mm -hmm. about... Uh, that was that was surreal because uh, she was ninety something like nineteen ninety two at the time, and she approached us at the exhibition in Maribor and said that she has something, but she, that she wouldn't want to give us the originals, the photocopies. So we were like, hmm. Can we make then, you know, half meet halfway? Can we film you talking about it and show it in film? We thought that this format might work. And yeah, okay. And it, she told us quite quite amazing story from also from a historic perspective here. Like the sentence when she said, I couldn't go with him. Mm. There we had to rebuild the country. You know, that was that was the primary goal. Yeah. Not thinking about yourself, but you, you're thinking about you know, the well-being of everybody. You have to rebuild the country. It's just like from this individualistic perspective that we have now sounds crazy. Mm. But then it made sense. And uh, then she told us that after she did this video, she invited her family to Sunday lunch and told them the story they didn't know. So nobody knew. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, the writing, I thought, in a lot of cases, like the storytelling was really fantastic. Um, you know, every once in a while, someone would sort of like, it's almost like a punchline. Um, not in that it's funny, but like maybe almost even like a twist. Like you would get to the end of a story and then it's like, you know, someone reveals that they are interested in a same-sex relationship yeah. when they had previously not been. Yeah. Um, yeah, people did a really wonderful job with that. Even, it, it almost comes across as funny, and I know it's, it's tragic, so that's maybe a horrible thing to say, but if it was a, a, a story in a movie, you would probably chuckle, and it's the, the woman who is skydiving with her partner. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and what's left over is the and skydiving it's what, it's five scene. sentences, right? Yeah. yeah. And you feel like you're almost leading up to, you know, like he passed and I'm remembering him because of this skydiving suit. In the last sentence is, he died skydiving. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. And it's, it's, for me, it was also amazing that, so we do not edit the stories in any oh, way. Oh, really? So everything that was written was written by people who gave these objects. And that was, for me, surprising that people can write so well. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, because really, you know, it's it's such a short format mainly. It's just a couple of sentences. Like one of my favorite is it's called Love Incense. It's like a can, and it just says it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so yeah, there are, there are, yeah, there are quite a few funny ones and sad ones, and but it's it's really the way it was written. I was pretty amazed that. 
There's a way for for people to sort of like connect and participate without submitting an item online, right? Like there's a, I thought there was like a a section of the website where people could write in stories and you could like pin. Yeah, you 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 can do it online, so you can just do the online thing, um, pin your your place and write the story on the web, and mm. that's it, with no submitting objects. And I mean, kids these days don't even have objects. Everything is 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 digital, you know, from yeah, photos to messages to it's just there in the phone. You don't have letters. Who's writing letters? Do people submit texts? Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, that's weird. Yeah, I noticed on that, uh, I just like tried to see like where, what parts of the world were outside of Croatia were pinned the most. And I think it was the US and I think it was the Philippines, like you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. But that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm curious about there's a section of the museum not necessarily devoted to broken relationships ships per se, but there's something more recent about the factory workers here. Um, yeah, and COVID. And I was wondering if you could explain that and talk about why you included it. That's one of the, that, that's this tiny room where we do this special exhibitions. Um, um, like I said, with refugees and with something with plants as well. Um, and this was, um, it's, it's called, uh, it's a global initiative called Pay Your Workers, mm. and we were approached by the syndicate of textile workers if we, for the, this day, it's, it's kind of a worldwide thing, if we could have this small exhibition, it's, uh, it's factory in a small place north of Zagreb, like 50 kilometers from here. And it's, it's tragic because yeah, historically speaking, so the way the Communist Party solved the unemployment was they would build a factory somewhere mm -hmm. and so people would get jobs. It was also really good for women because they would get jobs. So they would move away from being housewives and maybe more independent. It did a lot for the women independent movement as well. So uh, this was one of these textile factories that existed from, I'm not sure, like 1950s, 60s. Mm. And uh, they made a big mistake of working with just one company, a uh, German company. And when they canceled orders during COVID, they just let everybody go. So you have 270 people that lost their uh, jobs in a place that has like 2,000 people, which means like mainly everybody lost their jobs. Mm. So it's, uh, it's a big blow to the community there. And it was really emotional seeing the, the ladies that worked there for 30 years, seeing the exhibition, there were quite a few tears in their eyes and stuff. So um, just this is just being able to point out to this injustice. Has anything been done about that? Or? I doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You do as much as you can. So. Mm. Uh, for people coming to Zagreb, 
aside from uh, obviously coming to your museum, what would you say that they need to do in the city uh, to get the full experience? Mm. They need to spend it like we do. So they have to go for a coffee in the morning mm -hmm. somewhere on the terrace. Uh, take a hike maybe up to the mountain. Mm. That's also, that's that's our central park in a way. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, so like north of the church, I guess, you keep going? You, know, you can see it from, from, you always know where the north is because yeah. you see the hill up there. It's not that high. It's like 3,500 feet. Huh. But it's it's really nice forested area. There is skiing on top. Oh. Uh, so in the winter you can go by tram. When I was a kid, I would you know be after school or before school, if the school was in the afternoon. In the morning I would go skiing for three four hours and then run to school. That, that was that's quite cool. Anything uh, that they should eat. And yeah, they should eat. Uh, there, there's a lot of restaurants nowadays, um, but there is this one thing which I cannot eat anymore because it's filled with cheese. It's called Strukli. It's really delicious. That's a local thing. Um, it's cottage cheese, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But mainly all the cuisine is, is sort of a mixture of all the different influences around us from, you know, we were part of uh, Austro-Hungarian Empire, a uh, big part of Tomasia was under Venice rule, mm. Turks were right across the border, so you have this mixture of all kind of different food and uh, there's, yeah, there's a lot to eat. All right, cool. Uh, well, I will link to the website and to the Instagram and all that stuff so anyone listening knows in the player that they can find that. Um, yeah, and thank you. Thanks for showing us around. Thanks for having us see the museum. Uh, this was a real pleasure, so cheers. Pleasure is mine. All right, Voyagers, that is a wrap on episode 278 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you so much to Drajan for coming on this episode and for showing us around the museum and for helping us to learn more about him and the museum and about Zagreb, which is a really interesting place that you all should visit. All right. I'm not sure exactly when the next recording is going to be. I have some tentative stuff, but we're still on the road for another two weeks. So hopefully I get a few more things to you and then there will be some U.S. travel after that. So stay tuned. But for now, please, please, please take care of each other and I will catch you all very soon.